Hello and welcome to the Coffee with Your Therapist podcast, the podcast where we talk with people in the therapy field about their careers, their work and the music alike all in 20 minutes. The podcast is sponsored by MindGuard. We are bringing artificial intelligence behaviour monitoring to help therapists and their clients with solutions that focus on pre-therapy, in-therapy. Our software reduces the workload on therapists and aids the client to, to develop a better understanding of their mental health and well-being. Check out mindguard.com and enjoy the podcast. So, yeah. So, uh, Coleman, welcome to the podcast. Absolutely delighted to have you on. You're a well-known speaker about uh, psychotherapy in the media and give a lot of uh, clinical knowledge as well. So, I'm really interested to hear what uh, what you've got to say, maybe, and the... I was looking up your CV. You you worked in Great Ormond Street and a number of other um, hospitals in in the area of uh, child and adolescence uh, therapy. I understand. Yeah, I, I I started my career as a mental health nurse in St John of God's in Stillorgan in 1995, um, and one of the placements there was a child and adolescent unit, and I just really had a kind of a a real love for that, and. It, um, I, I admittedly I wasn't much more than an adolescent myself I was probably about 20 21 <laughs> um but maybe that was the relatability of it um so when we finished I went into the postgrad in um TCU in child and adolescent mental health and one of those allowed us to go on an elective placement so I went to London and I worked mm-hmm. in a place called Collingham Gardens which was a really cool experience and really enjoyed it and yeah so I ended up going to Great Ormond Street then um and worked in the child psychiatry unit there. And that was fabulous. It was um, one of those units that was kind of, it was known for children who had kind of treatment resistant, who maybe had tried other units and maybe hadn't succeeded. So got some really complex cases there. Um, I really enjoyed that. And then off up to Edinburgh, then I worked in the Royal Ed for about two years after that. Uh, Again, the adolescent unit has managed the adolescent unit up there. Um, Really loved that city. You know, it's just amazing place to be and and uh really cool people um and would still have friends uh in edinburgh um and would go back there fondly um you know especially christmas markets and stuff like that it's it's a fairly unique place to be um yeah and then returned to ireland then um 2003 uh, and been working in child psychiatry up until 2020 uh, and then took the, the step into academia then kind of as COVID hit, it got more difficult, I think, to to maintain the clinical stuff. It was just so challenging around that time. Um, and yeah, so I, I work now as a lecturer in Southeast Technical University um, in mental health there. Uh, I work, I have a psychotherapy clinic uh, and then obviously do the bits and bobs with the weekly column in the examiner and stuff like that. But um, yeah, no, I, I, I like to keep my hand in clinically. Yeah. I think because the area is changing so rapidly, you know, mm. um, if you, if you lose touch with it, I think you lose touch with being able to teach it. So yeah, so I'm lucky in that I have still got my feet in both camps, both the academic and clinical side. But, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm very lucky. I know it's a cliche to say, you know, if you enjoy your job, you don't work a day in your life, but, um, mm-hmm. the teaching and psychotherapy and, I suppose it's hard to say that you thrive on mental difficulties, but from the point of view of that, yeah, I'm intrigued by them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, so, yeah, really... so that, that's the kind of course of it. But, uh, yeah. No, yeah it's, no. I mean, having been a father of a couple of uh, teenagers and still have one at the moment, 
um, I know that it's just a, a bit of a quandary and a puzzle to unlock that box. And I'm sure if the child has um, difficulties, it's probably, you know, it requires some level of expertise to be able to get that uh, client to open up and reveal them. They, may, they, they probably don't know themselves what, they, what the issues are. Yeah, that's the wonderful thing about it. I mean, I think with teenagers, you have so much emotion and so little language, you know, mm -hmm. and trying to, to match that up is really difficult. But even in, and, and I'm doing it, what, 25 years in this job. And, you know, the, the, the job of being a child and a teenager has changed so much in that time. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Even from the point of view, it's almost um, incomparable to when I was a teenager. And, you know, it's... Uh, the whole landscape has changed. And so, you know, uh, there's often a debate about whether they have it easier or harder, or I don't know whether it's easier or harder, it's certainly more complex. Um, and there's certainly more things to be aware of than perhaps there was when I was growing up. But um, no, uh, as I say, it, it's it's one of those spaces that, that it keeps you young, you know, uh, and, you know, <laughs> trying to keep up with things like TikTok and all these things that people are coming to you with it's uh yeah it's 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 definitely helps my kind of uh turn and og for fancy of not growing up myself but um but yeah so uh, yeah really difficult for for young people at the moment and 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 even young adults i think even as you get into the 20s it's really tricky with the way things are at the moment there's mm. a lot of challenges that maybe weren't there when we were yeah. coming through but um yeah, I'm grappling with uh, my both my sons' um, uh, love for hip hop. Um, you know, as a bit of a music snob myself, I've sort of gone like, well, maybe there is something to this. Maybe I should listen. <laughs> but I know my my teenage son has uh, purloined my uh, deck, um, and the two of them buy. I, I can't believe they even buy LPs. You know, just to uh, for for their favorite artists. So it's a different one. It's funny because, uh, and I think that's you know, the generational gap when it comes to music is always interesting, you know, because everyone thinks theirs is better than the ones that come afterwards. But um, I, it's something I've spoken about before. I don't know whether teenagers have the same connection with music as they might have done before. I think from the point of view of if you were growing up in the 70s, 80s, it was almost your route to rebellion and to your voice and to your identity mm -hmm um with the tyranny of choice around youtubers and different things that people can identify with there doesn't seem to be that same certainly that excitement about a pending album that's coming out or queuing up for something or having that kind of entwined relationship with your idol you know yeah, that's it's yeah. uh um and it having a message that's, you know, sticking it to the man or whatever that sort of rebellion thing that we might have done before. Certainly see a dilution in that. You know, I think a lot of people... Good point. Uh, mm. I mean, it's... Um, I mean, obviously, I'm sort of like uh, 70s, 80s. I'm being a bit generous to myself there, but like the classic Led Zepp, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the fact that they're still around and popular, I think, says something about that music. But that, that said, I mean, I... I do try and stay open to what's coming, you know, because music. Uh, uh, Dara O'Brien has uh, the funny joke about, you know, the snobbery of music. You know, this sound is good and this sound is bad. I mean, it's really ridiculous <laughs> when you think about it. But, um, I mean, look, um, you've written a book that's been released this year, and maybe you could tell us the title and um, the subject. Yeah, it's called the four to seven zone, and and it was it came out of the idea that you know 
when you meet clients for psychotherapy, you oftentimes ask them to rate out of 10, maybe your sleep or your appetite or your social activities. And all I ever heard was kind of one, two, three and eight, nine, 10. I never mm. met the four to seven people, you know? And so I kind of thought, geez, there's something in this, you know, there's something in this moderateness that is maybe a bit protective when it comes to mental health and well-being. You think about, you know, um, when you're talking about physical fitness, getting your pulse up and getting your calories down and pushing to the extreme, when it comes to psychological and emotional health, it's actually the middle is the target. You know, it's not about doing or overdoing or underdoing something. And so with that in mind, it's something I used in therapy for years, but it was something that resonated with people that who maybe you'd meet them out on the street years after and they'd say, I'm still doing my four to seven, you know? Mm. So it was this kind of idea that if we rate everything that we do out of 10, if we're up in the eight, nine, tens or they're one, two, threes, we need to get it back to the middle. Um, and it's not very, it's not very popular. It's very hard to sell moderation, you know, because you're up against the five steps to happiness. And, you know, that I know which book I'd pick if it was, you know, <laughs> it was, if, if that was, was being promised. But what I do think in that is that we have kind of been, we've normalized excess from the point of view of, um unlimited binge watch you know right. all you can eat that sort of stuff and the middle has kind of been shunned as something bad you know mm-hmm. so people would say like i oftentimes say set yourself a task if you meet anyone tomorrow and they say how are you say you're having an average day i guarantee it they'll say why what's wrong you know um and, and this demonization of average is really it's not healthy because that's where most of us are you know, really average interesting, is, you know and it's not just a communication thing what i mean is that like if you if uh, you say um, eight nine because or one two because you want to communicate, maybe this is the exact problem you're talking about. You want to communicate where you are to the therapist or whatever, but you're saying they may be a seven and that's okay. Is 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 it a yeah I, or an attitude or something? I think the idea of self-reporting is oftentimes that we want to be extreme. Do you know what I mean? I oftentimes use the example of, and I'm sure you've met someone who's come home from the GP and they've said, the GP said it's the worst sore throat he's ever seen. You know, <laughs> he doesn't know how I'm standing up, you know. And it's, <laughs> there was a man going on, I can tell you that straight away. But, you know, there's that idea that it's almost we, 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 we want recognition for our suffering in some mm. respects. But also, um, and while I understand that, I think the idea of, the way in which the world is, you know, live your best life, be all that you can be, you know, you only live once, you know, seize the day, all that sort of stuff. And that narrative does push us into, you know, almost this chasing rainbows uh, of striving. And, and the other side of it is, you know, contentment, you could be accused of settling, you know, if you're content, um, when surely contentment is the goal rather than the disappointment. And and I, I would say that, you know, Parents who maybe t- they're told their child is in, in the average range, they go, oh, just average or only average. But um, and mm-hmm. again, that pressure of expectation that is upon us and it is it's a language issue, but it's also about, um, you know, the narrative sets the social reality of what we find enough. And my worry is that we've lost all sense of enough. You know, that's I'm sure this is the question everyone will ask you as soon as you say this, but. Do you think social media and, you know, TikTok, um, pick on TikTok, but it's the same across um, all social media. Do you think it's that sort of projecting your perfect life is, do you think that's part of the issue? I think it is. I mean, I, I think we all know that it's a highlight reel of people's lives, but we struggle to 
accept that that maybe it could be true you know maybe that is their real life or whatever but the the social media narrative is about extremes it's a you know you're not going to get shared something that's moderate you know it's what social media has done it has made what is popular but not what is true you know Mm -hmm. so from the point of view of the more extreme you're you know there was a few years ago there was a report about death-related selfies that people were taking these selfies in dangerous positions to get viral you don't uh, so the extremeness of it is what creates it's the magic sauce um and if that is the case then the moderate becomes forgotten in that um but i i think there's also a a, a, a bit of a realization of of the older generation too i mean we can blame the young people and their screens but there's an idea of we came through if you really my vintage you know kind of the american dream you know of working hard and you'll do well and you know all that sort of stuff and the, but um we almost want everything for our children you know this idea of you're special and you can do this and and you know if you think about all the problems in children's worlds today whether it's pressure academically or even the the sports incidences with referees getting assaulted they're all grown-up problems they're not mm. children's problems do you know what I mean and so you know the fact that a child is stressed out and going to grinds they didn't sign themselves up for grinds we signed them up for that you know the yeah, so, so yeah. the the social media narrative yes is pressured but I think we have to hold our hands up and say mm. well that's what are we doing you know as parents yeah. I think we we contribute to that you know no that's that's a very interesting insight I, I mean um, just a s- slight aside if even LinkedIn you know so-called business network you never see a post that says our company did okay this year. You know, it's the we have the best team, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Or the what I the humble bragging, you know, I get up at four in the morning, I run, you know, 10k, I meditate for half an hour, I go and wake up the kids, I'm thinking the poor bloody kids, that get let's get some sleep. You know, it's sort of like um it's that sort of it's the TikTok for business people, I think, you know, the sort of like um Look at me, I'm not doing great, but yeah, it is. And, and I mentioned in in the book on LinkedIn, I kind of reference this idea of someone who says, you know, thanks very much to you know, I've just passed a really important exam and mechanical um, control of a, a vehicle, and I'd like to thank Google and NASA and everything. And it turns out you pass your driving test. You know, that <laughs> idea. But uh, I'd love to do a kind of a narrative analysis of of LinkedIn and see how many times humbled, privileged um, are mentioned <laughs> in those. Uh, well, you mean the exact thoughts. opposite. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, if you were to compare your life to that, I mean, and and again, you know, if I'm not a CEO by 23, you know, mm. I'm I must be failing. You know, uh, that wasn't how I grew up in my 20s I didn't have people sharing their successes with that that race with me do you know what I mean and uh, uh, I think it was a better forest to be honest and is there so, so this would create um, you know, signs uh, maybe a sense of disappointment anxiety um, both saying the parents and the, and the adolescents um, and maybe in people themselves and I mean mature people that they're they're failing somehow by not being at the extreme is there is there any is there a solution to this beyond say maturity the famous solution to every problem what is a perspective or what do you think I think it is I mean I I don't I don't believe we're we're going to put our phones down and, and revolt against technology I don't imagine that's going to happen so but but I I think we will mature as we get used to it and I think we are the signs of that maybe that at the first, like the iPhone baby is only fourteen. So from the point of view of it's still very new in our lives and we're still romanticized by it and we're still 
our, our relationship with technology by definition is infantile you know it's kind of it is that braggy sort of thing like and if an alien came down and said like what is instagram and you said it's where i take a picture of my blueberry muffin and share it with 600 people and they say nom 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 yeah. like he'd think you're nuts do you know what i mean and i think there's a point at which we will hopefully have that realization that you know but um the work is is with the humans not with the the technology you know i think there is a, a there's an emotional intelligence that i think is perhaps missing you know um we, we're very much focused on emotional expression and while i get that and you know it's really good to express how you feel there has to be a degree of emotional intelligence in that because if you just have emotional expression without emotional intelligence you've basically got twitter you know which is just people shouting i have feelings i have feelings i have feelings and you've hurt my feelings there's a we've escalated our emotional expression but perhaps not our emotional intelligence at the same rate and so the investment is in that for me mm. you know they're very interesting words you're using and i can see the differentiation and what you're pointing out uh, yeah i mean I, i'm a major twitter user I, I, my feeling is the algorithm is a tweak to be more outrageous you know it's sort of like to get an emotional like really outrageous absolutely outrageous stuff um and like i personally i feel like i've sort of psychologically disengaged a little bit because i realize it's to provoke me you know i just mm. say yeah okay that's an outrageous thing you say and i just move on you know i just uh, but i have to say there was a time i would have got sucked into as they say arguing with strangers you mm. know over, over topics <laughs> and, and maybe that's the maturity that we speak of you know it is about trying to see this for what it is which is a kind of a provocation or you know and, and having the the wherewithal and and the sense like uh, you know one of the most underestimated qualities i think we have is cop on do you know what i mean mm -hmm. to kind of but uh, but i think we need to work on maintaining it you know and make work and it is it i mean most of what i try and say is, is don't get caught up in the white noise or in the furore of stuff because um you'll find it's not necessarily genuinely how you feel. You know, you'll mm. find yourself polarized and arguing something that in actual fact at the start, you didn't have those opinions at all. You know, but again, if to use the numbers, if I come at something at four and you come at six, if I go to three, you go to seven. If I mm. go to two, mm. you go to eight. And so we become this kind of, if you're not with us, you're against us. Um, and I, I worry about that because I think it, it's either creating young people who are kind of siloed into the extremes or attracted into that or children or young people who have who are afraid to have a voice you know or afraid mm. to say anything for fear of it being picked up the wrong way and um, and neither of those i think are healthy when it comes to our way of interacting with the world and interacting with ourselves if that makes sure. sense and so would you i mean does the book give people techniques to try or what yeah I mean, it's a very simple process it's about like you know if the six things like your biology your psychology your social world your behavior your cognition and your emotion and you look at your world through those lenses and rate it out of 10 and if it's eight nine ten or one two three you try and change it so the the biology is just sleep exercise that sort of stuff am i where am i thinking doing too much or too little of that the psychology is like rumination am i overthinking something or am i you know putting the letters from the bank in the bin in in a kind of an avoidant way am i socializing too much to kind of escape from being alone or am i spending too much time on my own that sort of stuff and it's really just to try and keep a, a kind of a 
a template for us to guide mm -hmm. ourselves to the middle. So the, the, the it's done through case studies. So we, it talks about work-life balance, intimate relationships, technology, parenting, and anxiety. And so right. there's case studies of, of different people who who went into the one, two, threes and eight, nine, tens and found their way back to four to seven. But it, it's, 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 it's a very forgiving process because it's not a, a suggestion that you shouldn't or can't ever go one, two, three, eight, nine, ten. The world yeah. will throw that at us. Like, that's just inevitable. The key is not staying there, you know? Yeah, that's really interesting, uh, Coleman. Like, um, in a way, I, I'm, I'm not, I know these aren't the words you're using, but what you're saying is that in the middle is best for your, for your overall benefit. You know, there are some, if you're an athlete, there's clearly you mm. go to nine, ten, and it's measurable, you know, it's measurable. Um, but really, is that they're, they're seven, you know, it's really that they're six in practice, you know what I mean? They, for compared to the average, they're, they're out there, but their life, that's what they are. Is there, is there a relative, relativism in this? There is. I mean, it's not that I, I, I'm striving for a world of mediocrity. No, no, that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. yeah. No, um, it's, it's, it's that four to seven is more about the lens with which you see it as much as you do it. You know, so the idea of was my reaction to that one, two, three, or eight, nine, ten, you know, of course, yeah, yeah. something's very passionate to me and I'm very invested in it. I am maybe going to overreact to something or underreact to something that's pointing me in a different direction or something that I don't want to hear. And it's maybe about challenging that. It's most almost like our own echo chamber. But also, you know, when when somebody comes to me and they, they say the kid is struggling in school, they'll say, mom wants to move school and get out of there. Dad says he needs to sit it out and stick it out. Who's right? Mm -hmm. And the answer is both of you are. It's neither of those is, you know, let's see how this goes. There's a middle response here that's mm -hmm. probably best in this situation. Do you know what I mean? And so um it's almost about encouraging us to think about that, the relativism of that, you know, and and it is about, you know, we need supreme athletes to do that. But um when you go out on an under eight soccer blitz, Point zero zero one of percent of those children will get to the top level. You yeah. know what I mean? But twenty eight percent of their parents think their child will. Do you know what I mean? And that's the problem. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's almost about, you know, is the fact that my seven year old, you know, got a goal that was disallowed from this sixteen year old mm -hmm. referee, does it measure do I need to encroach on the pitch here and start shouting and roaring and you know, seeing this child as a pension? because they're going to be in the Premier League yeah. or whatever, you know. Um, and it's that sort of stuff that we need to kind of step back on, you know. Mm. Um, there's this like, obsession with time that we have to be productive all the time. We can't waste time and we can't, you know, and, and everything is an investment. You know, I'm going to send you to the Gale School because you'll get 600 points and you're leaving with your Irish and I'm going to send you to, you know, learn the piano because you'll get points for that and this will be good for life. We underestimate that sometimes the, the unproductive stuff and fun is as important as mm. the productive stuff um but if it isn't if it doesn't have a, an, a purpose or it doesn't have an incentive or you know an investment process we tend to dismiss it and that's a worry you know yeah no it's very good uh, there, uh, as you know there's a recent debate about uh say G gaa uh, involvement of kids and i i my own my own son when you say eight nine ten Got in. I won't mention the sports because mm. it would be too unfair. But there was two particular sports that he was into. But the, the and he was good at them. But they just kept escalating. You know, I was and each of them at one stage. I was we were four evenings a week and half day Saturday, and he was ten. 
and mm. you could sense the fun drain, draining out of it for him. And it's, you know, you, but the coaches were so committed. You know, the, the coaches were doing it with the best of intent, shall we say, mm. you know, mm-hmm. raising the standards of the team. But the fun just drained away, I found, from So it's that's. Yeah, I, I oftentimes think we mistake competition with commitment. You know, say, yeah. oh, he's not competitive. It's not that he's not competitive. He just doesn't want to dedicate three quarters of his week to this activity. And and, yeah. and and there is a kind of an all or nothing, especially in teenagers. You know, if you're 13 or 14, if you're not willing to train twice a week, play a match at the weekend, you know, try strive for medals and prizes, there isn't really space for you within the system. Do you know what I mean? And mm. I've seen so many young people who who are maybe 14, 15 years of age, who have been retired from sport. Uh, and for me, that's wrong. I mean, there's, of course, there's a space for the ego-driven child who wants to win the medals and prizes, and we should have that. But there should also be, and I'd love to see it, this is my goal, uh, this will be my my legacy, is a, a five-a-side culture for teenagers. You know, mm-hmm. so on a Tuesday night, go to the Astro, put 10 bibs, five green, five red, play for an hour competitively, and head off. And then, you know, that's because that's how I engage in sport as an adult. Yeah, I, yeah. I can't commit to those times, but uh, thumbs up if I can make it, thumbs down if I can't. That's how I'm able to stay active is because of that flexibility. Um, and we need to offer that for young people as well, that it doesn't always yeah. mean that. Yeah, jumpers for goalposts. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, that's brilliant. So, um, where can people get the book? Coleman is. Uh, yeah. It's, it's in all good bookshops. I mean, we, we and some bad ones as well, I guess. There aren't some bad ones, probably. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's, it's great. We're, we're doing, uh, we're making the audio book version there at the start of, uh, next yeah. month. So, uh, that should be available as well. Um, surprisingly, how many people digest content that way now uh, as we yeah, speak yeah. on a podcast you know but um mm. uh, yeah so that that that's uh, that'll be great but look uh, we're, i was delighted with how it's gone and, and i've got some lovely feedback from people about it so um yeah no it's uh four seven zone yeah it's available in all of them really okay. um yeah should should be still available anyway, yeah, it's still like a great, uh, you know concepts i uh, really but let's let's just think back on what we're why we're here and what we're doing and uh, you're you're contactable through LinkedIn and other in your way. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. humbled and privileged if someone contacted me. Oh, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> you up at four in the morning to take those emails. Um, but anyway, and uh, on this uh, podcast, Coleman, the uh, we talk a little bit about music. So, is music a, a significant part of your life, or? Um, yes, I would say. Uh, I, again, I, I don't. I'm used that cliche of being eclectic, but I, I, my, if you look through my record collection when I was younger, or even my phone now at my stuff, it could you could have anything from Metallica to Celine Dion to Westlife to you know <laughs> Pearl Jam. So um, from that point of view, I I wouldn't have any sort of snobbery around that, mm. you know, um, which is interesting uh, because. I think I'd be quite mainstream, you know, um, mm. uh, and and unashamedly mainstream as well uh, from that point of view. Sure. But um, the, I, I find music snobbery very interesting. That you yeah, and I, I used to be a music snob when I was a teenager. You know, I would not yeah. listen to ABBA, and I realized they're probably <laughs> the next best set of modern songwriters after the Beatles. You know, so in fairness to them. <laughs> Uh, and maybe that's what getting older allows you to do is not have that, you know, mm. a little bit about, no, I just like it. I and I don't like it for any other reason other than that music in my ears sounds 
pleasant to me. But mm-hmm. um, but no, I, I would I would have uh, I don't get to as many gigs as I'd like to. Um, I I play music myself. Just my, I have a guitar and a few guitars, and I play that. But uh, only to and what sort of music would you play for yourself? Uh, I play a bit of country. I love um, Chris Stapleton and that sort of stuff. Um, and mm-hmm. um, more recently. Uh, Trying to get into a bit of Ed Sheeran or any of that sort of stuff that, like, you know, simple chords usually would dictate yeah. what I'd play. Well, Ed's, but, uh, Ed's just touched a nerve, isn't he? Ed's yeah, like, yeah. Man with the um, guitar, you know, and he's. I, I love playing with, with with kind of dance songs and making them acoustic, you know, so <laughs> the kind of uh, that that side of things. Uh, I, I enjoy playing around with that sort of stuff, but um, but yeah, no, and lockdown, I think, probably gave me a, a reinvested passion for music you know is something i i had let go i think um and during lockdown kind of refound that a little bit which was great uh and it's something i've managed to to carry through after even though we've yeah. resumed uh to some normality i still would listen to a lot more music now than i probably would have done before that you know okay you know that's brilliant and you have to as you know you have to pick the play out songs so i'm looking forward to what your choice is what would you like to hear uh, I'd love to hear "Imitation of Life" by REM. Uh, it's one of my favorite songs in the world. I've no idea what the lyrics mean; uh, they don't make any sense to me. Um, but I just there's something about that song, and it's not. It's, it's, I don't think it's associated with any particular po- point in my life. But uh, it uh, it's one that I would re- frequently re- listen to again and again and again, and, and still enjoy it. I never got sick of it. Maybe that's. Okay, great choice. And here it comes. Um, and come on, really appreciate you coming on and your deep insights are really interesting. Thanks. Real pleasure, Pat. Thanks for having me.